0: And I don't know, appreciate so much the music this morning, appreciate your good singing. We uh, sang that same song up in Indiana at my request because I preached from uh, 23rd Psalm that evening, as we had done here previously, the Good Shepherd. and um, I know some of you watched that there. Uh, you know, we went up to Indiana and uh, asked them the same question that I had asked here, if any of them kept sheep and i was surprised um, not, none of them actually kept sheep and i don't know if the, you know it's the agricultural rural community and, and i told them then you know i said i asked the question back in hampton i wasn't surprised that no one raised their hand and in hampton i wasn't sure if they knew the difference between sheep and goats at all you know and so i made that joke at your expense So i wanted to let you know if you want a reimbursement on your pastor appreciation gift <laughs> Just see me after the service, and we could talk about it. But uh, we we did have a very good time up there. We we enjoyed it. Good to good to be with the folks. But uh, glad to be back with you this morning, and a blessing to be here. We are uh, continuing our series in the Psalms, Jesus and Psalms, this morning, and um, we're going to be looking at Psalm one eighteen, and so uh, the cornerstone, the cornerstone, and. Uh, this is a, a psalm that was sung during Passover um, and so likely uh, many think that, that perhaps this would have been one of the songs sung after that Passover meal at Jesus' Last Supper uh, that he would have sung this with the disciples uh, before going out and this is one of those psalms that um, in the midst of it has... Clear portions that are speaking of the Messiah, and so uh, some of the things that were coming up for Jesus, uh, that he was about to experience, uh, may have in in part uh, been described by this psalm. So Psalm 118. Um, it's going to provide a, a context of, a, of people who are rejoicing at God's deliverance in the midst of the battle. Um, as I mentioned, it's, it is a, a Passover uh, hymn or a, a psalm that they would have sung during that time. And so obviously they would have connected some of these victories with God's deliverance from Egypt. And uh, just as part of that Passover remembrance ceremony. Uh, but beyond that. Uh, the language itself lends itself to uh, so much more right even even beyond that in uh, in in the this psalm and and I think in part um, that has resulted in this being a psalm that is uh challenging to put all the parts together uh, because it it truly does take some license in terms of what's what it's describing and perhaps when it's describing it right both in terms of events that have taken place and and beyond that looking forward to things that were yet to come and uh considering the messiah while still talking about the perspective of an earthly king and um all of those things can be be challenging and and have been challenging but but my hope is that from the midst of this we will see god's hand at work in really a a not only, not only is this the Word of God, but it is a portion of the Word of God that is incredibly beautiful in the way that it's written and described. Um, so as we, as we look through this, um, we're going to begin reading here just in the first four verses to, to start out with. But uh, Psalm 118, beginning in verse 1, says, O oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, because his mercy endureth forever. Let Israel, let Israel now say that his mercy endureth forever. Let the house of Aaron now say that his mercy endureth forever. Let them now that fear the Lord say that his mercy endureth forever. As we look in these first four verses, um, it's really unique in the way that this is described. In that this this would have had the choirmaster, the chorister, or whatever uh, you, term you would have used, in, in essence, starting out and then having those listening respond. And it's specifically written in the psalm itself who those are who are responding. And so, if we if we look at it together, there's there's three groups that are mentioned, right? The, or, or perhaps we could even say four, right? The first is the one who is describing the, the song leader, so to speak. right? Oh give thanks to the Lord for He is good, for his mercy endureth forever." Th- then we get to the second group. Let Israel now say that his mercy endureth forever." So, so we have this choir master, then we have Israel, then we have the house of Aaron, uh, House of Aaron, that's the priests, right? The priest' group. And so those who are from that lineage. Now, and then the last group is them that fear the Lord. Now, who are those particular groups? And there's a little bit of question there, right? Israel seems simple at the face. The question would be, okay, is, is Aaron, the sons of Aaron, separated out from that, or are they included in this, right, since they get their own grouping later? Uh, we don't know for sure, right? But Israel typically would include the sons of Aaron as well, Um, so, so perhaps it's all together. Uh, then we have the house of Aaron, and, and so then they would have said, uh, so this is the priest, his mercy endureth forever. Now, them that fear the Lord say that his mercy endureth forever. So this would be anyone who is, is looking to Yahweh, trusting in Yahweh, um, as a believer. The question would be, does this include believing Gentiles, and um, many think that this probably would include them. Uh, the reality is we don't know for sure, but we do, I think, get a sense of what's going on. Uh, we could say it this way, um, and, and maybe we'll, we'll uh, just try this together here just so maybe we can even, even hear it. But uh, let's take for a moment and let's just describe this group over here as, as fulfilling that, that part of Israel, right? You're standing in for Israel today. And so when it comes up there in verse 2, let Israel now say that his mercy endureth forever, uh, you can imagine them going through this song, and then when it gets to that part, this group would say his mercy endureth forever at, at that portion. Okay, so verse 3 then, house of Aaron, these would be the priests, And uh, we will give you that opportunity to be the priest this morning if you're on this side. And so when the the time came, you would say, His mercy endureth forever. And then them that fear the Lord would include everyone who was present. um, And that would include, uh, perhaps, uh, Gentile believers, God-fearing Gentiles. We would put in that that category there. And then they would join in on the third. And so uh, I want to try it together. So, when your section comes up, and remember everybody's in together on the fourth there, um, just say that his mercy endureth forever. And um, all right, so uh, verse one O oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, because his mercy endureth forever. Let Israel now say that his mercy endureth forever. Let the house of Aaron now say, that his mercy endureth forever. Let them now that fear the Lord say, that his mercy endureth forever. And so you you can see how this was a a communal uh, section of this song as as they would um, sing or recite these words together. So... This description for us, right? We have this the, this recognition of, of God here, this one who has this mercy that endureth forever, uh, a a steadfast love, a true love, a covenant love, one that remains and and will not go away. And, and so this this is a recognition of of what? Why is it? That we give thanks unto the Lord, verse one. What's the reason that we give thanks to the Lord? Because His mercy endureth forever. All right. That's that's the heart, the very beginning of this. And, and so, why do we why do we give thanks to God? We give thanks because His mercy endures forever. And and it's it's so important that every part every group, every partition uh, of, of Israel and beyond those who, who are, are fearing the Lord cry out together in recognition of the mercy of God, his covenant love that endures forever. And, and so, so with that, that sets up the beginning of this song that quickly moves in, to a recognition of God's deliverance in the midst of distress. Verse 5, I called upon the Lord in distress. The Lord answered me and set me in a large place. The Lord is on my side, I will not fear. What can man do unto me? The Lord taketh my part with them that help me. Therefore shall I see my desire upon them that hate me. It is better to trust in the Lord to put confidence in man. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. So great, great reminder here. And now here is this, this one who was crying out after the Lord's answer in the midst of distress. That, that language there at the very beginning, right, that I was in distress, distress the, the, the idea is literally being hard-pressed upon. That's why the end of the verse there uses that term, set me in a large place, right? I was pressed down upon. And the Lord took me out of the midst of that pressure, those surrounding me, and in essence, he set me free. Right? He, he set me free. This is, um, this is that opportunity when, when uh, after 14 hours you finally get out of the car. Right? That's the, you know, the idea. It was tight, it was cramped, it was tiny, and, and, and now you are, are set free. Uh, and, and we see that this actually later on, we see that this is going on in the midst of a description of, of wartime, right? So, so those around are not so much a vehicle, but armies, right? Armies that are all around, all surrounding us, those who are against us. And, and we, are, we are being pressed on every side, and, and God takes us from the midst of that pressure, from the midst of that, and he sets us in a large place, in a, in a place of safety away from it. The, the reminder here is that when God is on our side, that's all we need. That's enough. In fact, um, verse, verse 6, that, that idea, what can man do to me? If I've got God, what do I have to fear? Um, you, you, can, you can almost imagine this as Jesus is singing this in the upper room, as he is thinking about what is yet to come that night. Judas has already left at this point. And, and this is where it gets challenging, because this is very much a Messianic psalm, and it becomes more and more clear of that as it moves on. But the question becomes, is it here as well? Is, is Jesus remembering in those moments that, that he is about to be pressed down upon all around, that he is going to be surrounded, that he's going to be taken captive, that, that he is going to suffer and be tortured and be placed upon the cross and die for the sins of the world. And, and in the midst of all that, to, to be able to cry out, the Lord is on my side, I will not fear. What can man do to me? Parallel there, theirs are, are clearly understandable, especially in light of what is yet to come. You know, God helps them. He takes parts with them that help me, and I, I'll see my desire upon them that hate me. There will be judgment that will come upon those who hate me. And here's the great reminder, we have, we have two verses here, verses 8 and 9, that, that are, are really saying the same thing at the beginning, but have two differences in the end. It, it's better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man, and then verse 9, then it's better to trust in the Lord than to put confidences in princes, and so similar idea here, but, but, but basically, okay, trouble is around. What will I do during this time? And, and you can imagine this in the life of Israel. What did the kings often do in Israel's day when trouble came around? Made alliances, right? Often they made alliances. They, they found people who hated God and they said, hey, could you protect us? Hey, Egypt, could you come up and protect us? Hey, hey Assyria, can we be on your side this time? What, what happened? They, they didn't trust in the Lord, but they put confidence in man. They put confidence in princes, and time after time, they saw that it led to ruin. Who could you rely upon? Others to come to your aid? No, trust in the Lord, right? Put confidence in the Lord. And that's the reminder, the psalm in, in these sections, that we can take refuge in our God. Verse, verse 10 goes on. It says, all nations compass me about, but in the name of the Lord, I will, dest- will I destroy them? They compass me about, yea, they compass me about, in the name of the Lord, I will destroy them. Verse 12, they compass me about like bees. They are quenched as the fire of thorns, for in the name of the Lord, I will destroy them. Thou hast thrust sword me that I might fall, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and song. And it's become my salvation. Great reminder here, and this, this describes that pressing down that's going on, right? Surrounded, encompassed by enemies. And not just any, what's described here? All nations in verse 10 are surrounding them. You know, this, this reminds us perhaps of, of uh, Zechariah 14:2, for I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle. The city shall be taken, the houses is rifled, the women ravished, and half the city shall go forth into captivity, and the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. You know, that, that reminder there of Zechariah of what was, was yet to come, and certainly in the history of the nation of Israel, we have seen uh, captivity and these various things take place uh, along the way. And, um, and I think in general we can say that even in the world today, uh, uh, that we do see animosity toward uh, the Jewish people and the Jewish nation. I, I don't think anyone uh, would debate that point or that reality. Um, now, now, um, the place in the fulfillment, yeah, lots of ideas, right, in that area. But, but in regard to to the fact of of animosity toward Israel and the people and the Jewish nation, there's no doubt about that. There, there is no doubt about that, and we see that uh, currently in the world today still ongoing, and we have seen that time and again throughout history. Um, as, a, as a people and as a nation, uh, the Jewish people have been singled out uh, for horrific um, events uh, throughout history, and we have seen that take place time and again. Um, and, and so in, in the midst of this, this, this is referring to um, something here that, that will, will yet happen future, I believe, where there will be a coming battle where all of the nations will unite against Jerusalem in a, in a time yet future. Um, this is something that, that will still uh, yet to be fulfilled in, in terms of, of all nations being against Jerusalem. But Psalm 118, verse 15 goes on and says, The voice of rejoicing and salvation is in the tabernacles of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord doeth valiantly. The right hand of God, uh, the, the right hand of the Lord is exalted. The right hand of the Lord doeth valiantly. And then verse 17 goes on, I shall not die, but live and declare the works of the Lord. The Lord hath chastened me sore, but he hath not given me over to death. Great reminder here of God, and in particular, it, it uses that term, the right hand of the Lord, three separate times. Three separate times we see that. And throughout Scripture, the right hand of the Lord appears in various places describing God's deliverance or might in, in saving people, often in times of war. We see that in places like Exodus fifteen six, Thy right hand, O Lord, has become glorious in power. Thy right hand, O Lord hath dashed in pieces the, the enemy. Uh, verse 12, and that same chapter goes on, thou stretchest out thy right hand, the earth swallowed them. What are we talking about here? Well, Passover time, right? This is Passover, Passover him. What is this right hand? Three separate times happening right here in Exodus, referring to God's deliverance of his people from the Egyptians. And, and, and so when we see this once again, happening in here and being described here. Certainly, um, we can be hearkening back and thinking about God's deliverance of his people um, and, and his rescue, the salvation that was provided for them from Egypt, and, and yet at the same time, we know that, that this is referring to the events of, of a king in this day as the, as the, the people were uh, surrounding them, as, as that king was enduring that. Uh, but the same idea, the same God who was there before is the same God who is there now as this psalm is being written. He's the same God who will be there yet future. Isaiah 41:10 10 uh, speaks of the same idea. Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee, yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness or my righteous right hand. Same, same idea there, same wording. And, and so we, we see that, that God provides for his people. The great thing about this and the reminder uh, of, of what this, this psalmist is looking back to, and, and I, I think we could even use the term the, the, this king is looking back to, is that they know that it is God's deliverance that is, that is keeping them or protecting them from the ar- armies who are around. It, it's not, okay, it's our might. It's not, oh, it's the other armies who are around us. It is God who delivered. And, and if you want an example of God's deliverance without the necessity of the people's might, well, what, what is the time of Passover? Right? Getting out of Egypt. I mean, what, what did the slaves in Egypt, the Israelite slaves in Egypt, have to offer in, in terms of putting up resistance against the Egyptians? The answer was nothing. The work was the Lord's. And, and this is what... Uh, The psalmist is once again reminded of here. Verse 19 goes on, "Open "'Open to me the gates of righteousness. I will go into them, and I will praise the Lord. This gate of the Lord, into which the righteous shall enter, I will praise thee, for thou hast heard me, and art become my salvation.'" The stone which the builders refused has become the headstone in the corner. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day which the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Save now, O I beseech thee, O Lord. O Lord, I beseech thee, send now prosperity. Blessed be he that cometh in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you out of the house of the Lord. God is the Lord which hath showed us light, bind the sacrifice with cords, even unto the horns of the altar. All right, so we have, have this description here, and, and obviously when we got into that section, you may have heard some verses there that stood out. And there are certain things in there that just shine out to us, right? Things like uh, the stone which the builders rejected that's become the chief cornerstone. Things like uh, this is the Lord's doing, it's marvelous in our eyes. Right? Th- those are things that we... Remember, this is the day which the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. We've got good songs about that, right? We probably grew up singing at, at different times. And, and so, so those, those um, particular verses are popular in, in part because of what they represent and the fact that they are referred to um, over in the New Testament, and so, so here is this one who was the stone which the builders rejected, the f- stones which they re- refused, and that's become the cornerstone. Now, now in in this time in this psalm, that reference is to Israel, the one who is encompassed about by armies, right? The one who is pressed down upon, the one who, in essence, the nations have rejected and yet God has chosen them as his people, right? That, that, that is the reference there, and yet it looks ahead to the one who fulfills this in Jesus Christ. So as we, as we um, think of those, those references, right, these hard-pressed people, they, they are, 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 are rejected, they're cast off, but God intervenes, now he sets them up, they are placed... As this important, in this important position, this place is the cornerstone. And in essence, we can almost uh, say that even as we think about that land of Israel um, today and where it is, um, that is a place that has been fought over and battled over time and time again and uh, has has been uh, very much um, the the central theme of, of of. fighting and, and wars uh, throughout time over there. All right, let's go, let's go on, actually, and we're going to jump ahead here to verse 28. Verse 28 says, Thou art my God, I will praise thee, thou art my God, I will exalt thee, I will give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. And so the psalm closes up with that, that great um, benediction verses here. But but here's what we're going to do now. We're going to go back and we're going to look at references to the Messiah in this psalm, and see where this psalm was pointing ahead. And so this will fit in with our theme of of Jesus in the Psalms. And and as we we begin, one of the one of the places that that we see this is in the various gospel accounts. Um, Mark will actually go and and he will quote this. Um, We'll see Psalm, let's, let's take, um, for example, um, Mark will quote this, Matthew quotes this, but various other places. But let's, let's look here at Psalm 118, 25 and 26, right? Save now, I beseech thee, O Lord, uh, I beseech thee, uh, send now prosperity, blessed be he that cometh in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you out of the house of the Lord. And so we, we, we have this blessed be, the um, blessed be he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Matthew 21.9, it this way, the multitudes that went before and followed cried saying, Hosanna to the sa- Son of David. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Obviously referring there to Psalm, Palm Sunday. So the Jewish people themselves recognized Psalm 118 as a messianic song. They knew that this was a description of the coming Messiah. When Jesus comes in, on, into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, as he's he's riding on that colt, right? He's riding on that donkey, and, and he's coming in, and, and they are crying out and they are declaring, um, "Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest!" And they they are screaming out, "Blessed be he that cometh in the name of the Lord." What what are they saying? They they are saying, "This is the Messiah who's coming. This is the Messiah who's coming." Um, and and we see that. In Matthew 21, 9, we see it later on as Jesus approaches the temple. In verse 15, when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the, and the children crying in the temple saying, Hosanna to the son of David, uh, they were sore displeased. What, what, what's going on? Now the children are crying out, Hosanna, son of David, and carrying on this Satan. This is the Messiah. Now, as, as Jesus is arriving at the temple. Now, Psalm 118. When we're talking about the Messiah here, what is the context of the psalm? Is, is it a peaceful psalm? Is a spiritual heart change that's coming because the Messiah is coming into the world? Is it, oh, here comes the, the Messiah who's going to lay down his life and die? What's in Psalm 118? <laughs> Military... Victory, right? The right hand of the Lord. And, and so, so the Jewish people are, are, are seeing Psalm 118, here comes the Messiah, military victory. He's, got, he, he's the one who rescued us out of Egypt with his righteous right hand. He's the one who in the, in the past has saved our natures, nation with his righteous right hand. He has pulled us away from the armies. And now we are being pressed down by Rome. Here's the Messiah. Here's the one who is coming. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you out of the house of the Lord. You you know, there's a, a sense in which I think we could almost say that some of the confusion on the part of the Jewish people is understandable given the teaching and misinformation about what the Messiah was doing. Because of the very nature of, of of what this is like, but but so here here is his Jesus, and and I want to be clear they, on this this Passover this description, as we saw later on, right? It, it actually describes the ascent to the temple. We read those later verses, talking about binding up that animal for sacrifice. It, it is though it is marching onward, uh, in, in Psalm one eighteen. Toward the altar where the sacrifice takes place. And here's Jesus coming in on the donkey and they're declaring you are the Messiah. And they're seeing the military victory and they're missing the animal tied up for the slaughter. Both are actually present in Psalm 118. But it's easy to overlook one in the midst of the rest that's going on. It's easy to overlook what's described there. So in in Matthew 11, verse 9, it says, And they that went before, and they that followed, cried, saying, Hosanna, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Blessed be the kingdom of our father David, that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And here's the very next verse in the book of Mark. And Jesus entered into Jerusalem and into the temple, and when he had looked round about at all things, and now the eventide was come, he went out unto Bethany with the twelve. What happened? Something was missing there. All of a sudden, they're not crying out, hey, you're the Messiah. It's at this point they're starting to realize no, he went to the temple, he went to the altar. He's the religious nut. Where's the sword? You ought to be going to the capital, you ought to be marching on Herod's palace, you ought to be taking on the enemies, the Romans here you are at the temple. I failed to understand that Jesus was the sacrifice, the perfect sacrifice who would take away the sins of the world. This goes on and, and we see um, later on in Matthew 21, uh, after what we had read previously, verse 38 says, but when the husbandman saw the son, this is speaking of uh, the, those who were taking care of of the vineyard, the, the, the son comes from the vineyard owner, the, they said among themselves, these husbandmen, this is the heir, come and let us kill him. Let us seize on his inheritance. They caught him, cast him out of the vineyard, and slew him. When the Lord therefore of the vineyard cometh, what will he do unto those husbandmen? They say unto him, we will miserably destroy those wicked men, and will let out his vineyard unto other husbandmen, which shall render him the fruits in their seasons. And Jesus said unto them, Did you never read the scriptures? The stone which the builders rejected, the same has become the head of the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. What's that parable teaching? He's speaking here to the scribes and Pharisees. You will kill the son. The one who is being rejected will become the chief cornerstone, and it will be marvelous in God's sight. He is declaring to them what they are about to do. He knows the evil in their hearts. And and he says what is coming. The the same Messiah who was referred to back here in verses 22 and 23, the stones with the builders rejected has come the headstone of the corner. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. Jesus declaring to them, I am the Messiah. He he is saying that I am the Son of God. You know, it amazes me today when people say that, that oh, well, Jesus never claimed to be God. I mean, everybody who was there with him understood it. That's why they picked up stones to stone him after he taught. That, that's what he's referring to in, in these moments as he declares that he is the son right before them. And, and yet, time after time, people today will, will put up blinders to this fact and this reality. They, they will seek to come up with other explanations or other excuses where, where they twist Scripture so much. It, it's incredible to think about how far people will go to perpetuate that lie. Matthew twenty-three thirty-seven says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and ye would not. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate, for I say unto you, ye shall not see me henceforth. So you shall say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. So I refer to it back to verse 26. We looked at it before. Same thing. You reject the Lord. There, there will be a day when finally it will happen where it comes again and Israel will actually say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. It is yet future. It is yet occurring. And in that day, when that occurs... Jesus will be seen. Acts 4.11 similarly goes on and, and says, This is the stone which, which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head cornerstone. Peter there speaking, of course, referring to Jesus in the midst of, of that sermon in, in Acts 4.11. Peter also uses this reference in 1 Peter two seven, Unto you therefore which is he, uh, believe he is precious, but unto them which would be a disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner. And the reference there is, look, hey, if he's precious to you, he's your cornerstone. And if he's not, you're rejecting it just like it was done before. And even if you reject him, he's still the head cornerstone. That's the, that's the reality there. And so time and time again in this psalm, we see these references to the Messiah Pointing that that this is Jesus. Can you imagine being Jesus singing this song on Passover Eve right before you're going to the cross, right before the Garden of Gethsemane, right before you will be pouring out your heart to God the Father, saying, Father, let this cup pass from me, but even if if it is thy will, right? Let thy will, not my will, be done. And so he, he, he declares out to God the Father. All this back in Psalm 118, pointing forward to the Messiah. The, the Jewish people understood the references to the Messiah in that day. It's amazing how often we today fail to see it. You know, it's, it's things like this that I think ought to just cause our hearts to overflow in thankfulness to our God. Just, wow. How, how the Word is so perfect, how it is so beautiful, how it's so incredible how God weaves these things together, how prophecy is perfectly fulfilled. Man man doesn't write like this. Man doesn't plan like this. Say it this way, man isn't this smart. There's never been an author like this. There's only one. And it's God himself. And, And so when we see the perfection of his word and the fulfillment of his promises over and over again, we can rest confident knowing that the word of God is true and knowing that as we, we press forth that, that we are serving a risen Savior, the true one, uh, the, the one who has fulfilled all of this perfectly. If I gave you the Old Testament and said, here, take this. Go out and try to fulfill God's promises. <laughs> you couldn't do it. You couldn't do it. It's impossible for you. It's impossible for me. It's impossible for for anyone, save for the Son of God. And that's who we worship. It's the incredible God we serve. Let's pray to Him. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word today. We thank You for this beautiful passage. Father, we thank You for this account of the Messiah and the coming Messiah. Father, this this psalm teaches us so much about who You are, both what You've done, what You were doing, what You... Uh, what you have done for us, but yet was future for them. Father, also, what is yet future even for us today? So many things are, are weaved into this beautiful text. Father, we, we freely admit that wrapping our minds around the perfection of your, your perfect plan is challenging. And yet, Father, we stand in awe at the beauty of what you've done and are doing. Father, we pray that our lives would be lives of faith. Where we stand on truth and in in the light of your word, pressing forward in the cause that is set before us for the glory of your name. Father, we pray that today you would do that work in our hearts to draw us ever closer help us love you more may we stand more in awe at who you are and father may we be motivated by that love to act on your behalf for your glory we pray these things in jesus name amen